if you or anyone you know is suffering, there's a crisis text line with free 24-7 support. Text HOME to 741-741 for the US and Canada, 85258 for the UK, and 50808 for Ireland. You can find them on crisistextline.org and they're also available to message via Facebook. Please be advised this episode is not suitable for all listeners. Discretion is advised. Tinder, Bumble, OkCupid, plenty of fish. We're all familiar with dating apps and the dangers that are inherent in them. Back in the ancient times of the late 1900s, when beepers, chain wallets, and even beanie babies were cool, and TLC was an R&B group, not a channel popular for such profound entertainment as 90 Day Fiancé and Dr. Pimple Popper. Computers and the internet were pretty new to most people. Alas, humans always seek to connect. So even back in the prehistoric times, people were looking to hook up via the web. And as per usual, particularly creepy people always find a way to take advantage of any convenience. Thanks so much to our contributor, user, Veggie Maniac, for sharing their story with us tonight. Now... Get comfy and prepare yourself for another episode of The Nightmare Society. This is a story I've never told anyone, partly because elements of the story are just not appropriate in most social situations. As a result, I've locked this away in my memory, and I rarely think about it. Fair warning, this story does involve some sketchy sexual situations, but does not describe any actual sex acts. And as another disclaimer, I'm completely aware that this story involves me being very stupid and careless. I'm not going to inject these acknowledgments into the story, but rest assured that in hindsight, I'm aware of the foolishness that took place. The year was approximately 1998 to 1999. I was a young gay man in my early 20s, living in a medium-sized city in the Midwestern U.S. This was sort of an in-between, transitional time for gay people where in most populous areas we had enough respect to live openly, but there were still plenty of people who did not like us. It was well before the invention of smartphones, and the internet was still in the early stages of mass adoption. There were large communities online, but it was not yet at the point where most Americans were online. Online socialization consisted of chat rooms, hosted by various services like AOL, Yahoo, or IRC servers, and message boards were still in use by large numbers of people. For gay men at that time, it was nothing short of revolutionary. Prior to the internet and the broader cultural changes, gay men had been stuck looking for fun and secretive and or shady places due to the inability to freely express ourselves. In the 90s, it was still somewhat risky but the internet offered a way to talk freely and relatively anonymously without the risk of being outed, or worse. 
For this reason, it really took off in the gay communities, and gay men were a very large part of the user bases for these social platforms. It was suddenly very easy and relatively safe to find dates, friends, or just to have fun, and it quickly became the norm for a lot of gay men. On the other hand, being such a new communication tool for people, we were sometimes blind to the risks. Being an attractive young man in my prime, I made liberal use of online communities to find dates. That is to say, I had plenty of hookups. My city had a decent number of chat rooms and personal message boards, and I had mostly great experiences. I met the typical assortment of good guys, closet cases, and weirdos that you would expect. At some point during this time, I'd had some brief chat on a message board with a guy within my city. I forget his screen name. It's been over 20 years. So, let's say Slim Guy 65. The back and forth had happened on a general thread in the gay section, not in private messages, so it was visible to anyone who chose to read that thread. Nothing had come of it. But about a week later, I received an email from an unrecognized address. The email basically said, Hey, I'm not gay, and I don't agree with the gay lifestyle. I'm here because my friend met this slim guy 65 person from this message board, and the guy really hurt him. I don't want this to happen to anyone else. My friend tried to tell the police, but they wouldn't do anything. I see you were talking to SlimGuy65, so just be careful and stay away from him. Okay, that's strange. What does this person mean by really hurt him? Was his heart broken? Did he get beaten up or verbally abused or what? I responded to the email asking for clarification on what exactly happened. I never received a response. I was slightly weirded out about it, but on the other hand, it's an anonymous email from someone who doesn't respond and is vague about their warning. This could be anything. It could be some disgruntled ex trying to mess with the guy. It could be a real warning about someone gay bashing. It could be someone trolling who doesn't have anything to do with anyone. I kept it in the back of my mind, but pretty much shrugged it off. Several weeks later, I had a weekday off and decided to take to the internet to fish for some guys, as was my custom. Lo and behold, I had an email response to a personal ad. It was Slim Guy 65 He was offering to meet me at his place to hang out and just have a good time. I won't go into details, and as I recall, there weren't really many details discussed other than the small talk and intros we had done previously. Nothing about this guy was really sounding interesting to me, but I had no other offers on this day. So, why not? I'll go and see what this dude is about. As I typed my reply, I suddenly remembered the strange email I'd received warning about this person. I went back and reread it. Still vague. Still presenting more questions and no answers. Should I take this anonymous warning at face value and just ignore Slim Guy 65? I decided to go check him out anyway. 
His address was on a rather busy street in the middle of a dense residential area, not some shack in the woods, and I can handle myself. If he's weird, I can just get the hell out of there. Before long, I arrived at the house at the agreed time. It was a duplex-style house, with one apartment on the ground floor and one on the second floor, part of a row of several identical duplexes. It was the middle of the afternoon. There was plenty of traffic on the street and the occasional person out on their porch or in their backyard. I pulled up the driveway to the parking area behind the house, got out, and knocked on the door. The guy that answered was a pretty normal, kind of mousy-looking man, probably in his 40s. Slight, slim build, soft-spoken, looked like any guy working in an office cubicle somewhere. Not really my type, but honestly my curiosity was piqued and I had nothing better to do. So I stepped inside to take a look around and gauge the situation with the warning email fresh in my mind. I stepped in through the back door into the kitchen. It was very clean and there was nothing out on the counters. No table or chairs or anything. That is to say, it didn't look like someone was living there. It had been kept up and cleaned, but looked empty. Looking out into the apartment, I could see that it was not set up as a living space. A large window with sliding glass was between the kitchen and the living room, and I could see what looked like a large table out in the living room area. Slim Guy 65 said something like, This isn't where I live. A friend of mine used to run a doctor's office here. I maintain the building for him. It's private though. We have the place to ourselves. Weird, but okay. He shut the back door and locked it with a keyed deadbolt. The kind that you need a key to open, even from the inside and put his keys back in his pocket, saying, So, what do you want to do? At this point, my danger sense spiked. This is not a normal home, and why is he locking the door like that? It's not necessarily suspect. A lot of people have that sort of lock on their door, and the door has a window, so it even makes sense. Still, something is not right here. I can tell, and now I'm locked in. I asked him why he was locking the door like that, which immediately flustered him. He was looking rather nervous, and his voice was a little wavery and halting. Not quite stuttering, but almost. He said, Um, well, we don't want someone to come in. And interrupt us, right? Flashing a weak, unconvincing smile. His demeanor and body language were all I needed to confirm that this guy was up to no good. Or at least there was something he was hiding. However, I could tell that I was intimidating him. I was not particularly a muscular kid, but I have a larger frame. 
Like even when I'm at my very thinnest, I will still wear large tops and 36 waist pants. So I look big, which people tend to interpret as me being stronger than I actually am. Also, I'm not a tough guy at all, but I have a resting facial expression that makes me look like a badass. People who don't know me often assume that I'm rough or something. I sometimes use this to my advantage while I can, because before long a new acquaintance will eventually figure out that I'm a total wimp. But, this was definitely an occasion to play up the tough guy appearance, and I did exactly that. I put on my best steely face and told him to unlock the door, and that I don't want to be locked in here. He looked for a moment like he was going to pee his pants. Then he said, Okay. Alright, I'll unlock this. He unlocked the deadbolt. And I'll just lock the knob here. And he turned the little dial that locks the doorknob. That was fine with me. I continued to stare at him until he said, I'll leave the keys on the counter right here. And he set his keys down near the sink. I was relatively satisfied with that answer. At this point though, my adrenaline was flowing. I was almost in full fight or flight mode. But I was kind of stuck in place. The guy was between me and the door. I was freaked out, but this little weasel did not appear to pose any immediate physical threat to me. I could tell that his pants pockets were empty, and that I was intimidating the living heck out of him. I don't know yet exactly what to do. Now keep in mind that despite my wordy descriptions, this all happened very quickly, without any really long pauses. It had been maybe one or two minutes since I'd stepped in the door. This all happened at the pace of a conversation. The guy was obviously nervous and trying not to appear so. He said, No, let's go in. And walked a wide path around me through the kitchen into what would normally be the living room and toward the hall to the right from there. I was familiar with this floor layout. It's very common in this area. The hallway would lead to two small bedrooms with a bathroom in between them. I hesitated, thinking I should just walk out that back door and take off. But really, now I was super curious. I knew there's no way in hell I'm doing anything with this guy, but I kind of wanted to see what's going on in here. Also, I'm confident that he can't take me if it comes to a fight, so I slowly headed toward the living room. It felt like I was walking in slow motion. From the kitchen entrance I could see a large rectangular stainless steel table taking up a lot of the living room. I remember thinking this looks like a surgical table. It looked like it could rise and tilt, and it had a recessed channel running all the way around the edge. In hindsight, I now know what that was. It was 100% a mortician's table. This guy had a mortician's table in there. But at that time, I thought it looked like a medical table of some sort. There was some other office-type cabinets and stuff around, 
I think, but now all I really remember is the table in that room. The large front window looking out onto the street was covered by vertical blinds that were closed. Slim Guy 65 said something like, This used to be a doctor's office. Like I said, come on back here. The hallway revealed the room setup that I had expected. The first bedroom door was closed. The second door was open to a small, very clean bathroom. At the end of the hall was the other bedroom, which looked like, if the doctor's office story was true, had at one time been converted into an exam room. He said, We can go in that room if you want. Go ahead and take a look. And he stayed by the other closed bedroom door. The back bedroom door was open, and I could see that the walls were covered in a honey-colored wood paneling, the type of thing you might see in a den or office that hasn't been updated since the early 1970s. I slowly took a few steps down to that door, trying to be very aware of what Mr. Creepy was doing behind me. He didn't move. When I got up to that room, the first thing I noticed was the door had a key to deadbolt lock, just like the back door. This room locked from the outside. I wondered if there was a lever on the inside, but I pretty much knew the answer to that question without needing to check. I also saw a chair, a non-swiveling plastic desk chair with thin metal legs sitting near the center of the room. The room had old, dark carpet and those wood-paneled walls. I noticed that the walls were completely paneled with no windows, and I know that room had at least one window, probably two. So whoever did that paneling went over the windows. There was also a phone in there, plugged in and sitting on the floor. It was an old office phone, probably from around the 80s or early 90s. Dingy beige plastic with several buttons to manage different phone lines. Just sitting on the carpet near the wall, with the chair at a slight distance facing the phone. There was nothing else in that room. I was standing at the threshold of that room with one foot slightly in, absolutely not going past that door. I looked back at the dude. He was still standing by the other door, just nervously smiling at me trying really hard to look casual, but obviously very nervous, or something. He said something like, Well, what do you want to do? Instead of answering, I felt around the back side of the deadbolt lock. Sure enough, nothing there but the smooth wood of the door. It also dawned on me that I did not see a light switch anywhere for the ceiling lamp. Where was the switch? Who knows? It should have been just inside the door, of course, but that original switch was covered up by the paneling. He mumbled something about not having the key to that lock, so don't worry about it. I turned back to face the guy and just said, What is it that you want to do here? My skin had gone ice cold as I realized that I was way, way, way too far into this apartment. I was running through my options in my head. What is this guy going to do? 
He doesn't appear to have any weapon or anything in reach, but who the heck knows what goes on in this place? What are you trying to do? I said. He was almost totally derailed by that. He stammered out, Some hot man-to-man fun. With the weakest smile I've ever seen, looking like he was just a hair's breadth away from panicking. That sounds comical, but really that sentence was probably the most chilling part of the entire experience for me. It was the way that he said it, like he had to come up with something on the fly, something that would sound plausible, and he failed. Who says that in real life? Hey, do you want to have some hot man-on-man fun? Nobody. It's something you'd see on an advertisement for a cheesy porn site or something. That was it. I said, nope, I want to go. I'm leaving. Uh, okay. I quickly walked past him as he flattened himself against the wall to avoid me. Out through the living room dissection area and through the kitchen to the back door which was thankfully still not deadbolted. The keys were still on the counter. I let myself out the door and didn't bother closing that, as I saw him slowly coming to the door behind me. I deliberately walked, not ran, to my car. Looking back at the building, I could see that indeed there was a window facing the backyard area from that paneled room, but of course it was covered up from the inside. Dude was shutting and locking the back door, and I left, heart pounding, skin icy cold, thinking, holy crap, what was that? So, was this guy some kind of killer? Or was he just an awkward, closeted gay guy with access to a sterile-looking apartment with an autopsy mortuary table and a windowless room that locks from the outside? with a chair and a phone and no light switch. It's clear to me that the poor soul who walks into that room gets locked in. He probably shuts off the light from somewhere and calls the phone. Other than that, it's anyone's guess what happens. I assume the friend of the judgmental person who emailed me must have been some kid that got locked in there for whatever game ensues. Driving home at first, I thought, of course, I have to call the police and tell them what's in that place. But thinking it through, I realized I didn't have any crime to tell them about. I went to meet a man for casual sex, and what? He has a room with a chair in it. He has, as I thought at the time, an exam table. The police aren't going to do anything with that story. The guy didn't touch me or do anything to me, and I left. I considered calling an anonymous tip line, but again, what exactly would I report? There was no actionable crime. Also, keep in mind that at the time, while the local police in this city were pretty decent, they weren't especially interested in getting involved with helping gay people. They would prosecute actual crimes if it was cut and dry, but I had heard plenty of accounts of them not choosing to follow up on cases where there was not an easy arrest to be made. I decided not to report anything because nothing would come of it except drawing unwanted attention to myself. Even in retrospect, I think that was probably the most rational choice to make. 
If this happened today in 2020, the law enforcement would probably be a lot more interested in it. But back then, not so much. So, live and learn. I still drove past that house once in a while in the normal course of life for several years, and I'd pay attention to how it looked. The vertical blinds were closed for maybe five or six years whenever I went past. Then eventually the blinds were down and there were decorative curtains in the window, so I assumed the place was eventually sold to someone who actually lived in it. Around 2002, maybe 2003, there was a murder of a young man on the news. He'd been found in the next state, which borders on my city, so it's not very far away. I recognized the guy from the gay community, but didn't know him personally. A friend mentioned to me something about the local serial killer. I said, what? He explained that a few young men had gone missing over the past year, each after being at one specific dive bar, and each being found several miles to the north past the state line and out in the country. The case on the news matched up with that M.O. My friend told me the young guy had been at that bar and left with someone the night he disappeared. The news didn't report or mention anything about a gay bar or similar recent cases, of course. I had to wonder if my acquaintance from the internet had anything to do with it. The location of the murders apparently was nowhere near that duplex. At least according to the story I was told, I never heard of a resolution to the murder on the news, or any official mention of a suspected serial killer, other than some gossip. So, that happened. As always, a big thanks goes to our producers for this week's episode. Danielle, Ginger, Mike... Dad OJ, Devin, Savannah, Pixel Donut, Janelle, Michelle, Diane, Joy, Josh, Shorty, Warren, Rebecca, Araceli, Kehlani, Hawaii, Obese J, KDP, Rory, Kaylee, Bradley, Christelle, Brandon, Shelby TX, Lorraine, Courtney, Chris, Heidi, Lila, Jaren, sorry about that Jaren, and Carol and Holly Ann, our newest producers. Also, I'd like to say welcome to the Dean of Mean and Tim. If you'd like to show your love for the podcast, feel free to stop by patreon.com slash nightmare society, or we could always use some good reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time. Sweet.